Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Recently, a listener asked a famous Christian radio host this question. How does one reconcile Colossians 1, 21-23, with the teaching of once saved, always saved? It seems to suggest that one can lose faith in the gospel. The radio host struggled a bit to answer the question, and then gave the following answer. There is a belief that is not adequate to the task of salvation. This is a common way of thinking among preachers and teachers. They suggest that some people who have expressed faith in Jesus aren't true believers because their faith was inadequate. But is that what Colossians 1, 21 to 23 really teaches? I'm Andy Baylock. And I'm Jordan Pine. Today we'll examine this passage of scripture for ourselves. Please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians and get ready to join us for another 20-minute Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. A reading from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before God holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and in which I, Paul, was made a minister. That was Colossians 1, 21 through 23. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. With an open mind and an open heart, we seek to take out of the Bible what God has put into it. And that means it's time to go to space. Space is an acronym. It reminds us to identify the speaker, audience, and context of a Bible verse before attempting an explanation. In other words, we always put the SP, A, and C before the E in order to avoid misinterpreting God's word. The speaker is the Apostle Paul, God's chosen emissary to the Gentiles. The audience is the church at Colossae, a small city in what is today the Asian part of Turkey. You know, when I visited Istanbul a few years ago, I actually took a ferry between the European and the Asian parts of Turkey. And, you know, Istanbul is a beautiful place that I highly recommend visiting. And it's kind of cool how you can be there and go from one continent to the other. Anyway, Colossae was near the city of Laodicea, which is another church that's mentioned in the Bible. In the book of the Revelation, Laodicea is one of the seven churches addressed in the beginning of that book. It's the rich but, quote, lukewarm church. The context is that this is a letter written around A.D. 60 to a church Paul hadn't founded or even visited. It was founded by Epaphras, a convert of Paul's from Ephesus. Paul at the time was in prison in Rome 
and Epaphras had told him what was happening at this church in Colossae. So like several churches during that time, the Colossian church was under attack from false teachers who claimed Jesus was not God. Paul's letter to them is basically his case for Christ, the divinity of Jesus and his supremacy. Yes, and one additional note, this sort of letter is better, in a sense, for Christians today to read because it is speaking to people like us, formerly lost people who were saved by grace. Other letters, and many other parts of the Bible, require more careful attention to the audience because it's most often the Jews who were already saved in a national sense. And now we're ready to get into an explanation. Let's break down this Bible passage. Our guest reader today is Christian. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds. Going back to the A in space, which stands for audience, we can see that the Apostle Paul was writing primarily to Gentile believers. The key phrase supporting that conclusion is this phrase, previously alienated. The word he uses here for alienated in the original Greek is a word Paul also uses in his letters to the Ephesians, another Gentile church. Andy, would you mind reading Ephesians 2, 11 to 13 for us? Sure, Jordan. Therefore, remember that previously you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So I wanted to call out this phrase, separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel. That word translated excluded is the same word translated alienated in our reading today, Colossians 1.21. Like each of us before salvation, these people were originally without God in the world, having no hope for the afterlife. Crucially, they were also, quote, strangers to the covenants of the promise, which means they could not partake of God's promises to Israel Those promises are reward and inheritance for those who are faithful. Great point, Jordan. That reminds me that Paul had a common two-part theme in his letters to the Gentile churches. The first part, to introduce them to an understanding that they were once lost before having faith in Jesus Christ. The second part is, now that they are in God's grace, they have an opportunity to gain a reward if they remain faithful in their works while in this world. Philippians 3, 12 to 14 shows us this. Jordan, would you please read these verses? Yeah, sure thing. Verse 12 of Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Thanks, Jordan. Let's focus on verse 12 here. We first see that Paul wants to press on in his walk 
so he that one day in his future might lay hold of the prize that's mentioned in verse 14. Now, just in case you were wondering, every Christian will learn if they will receive the prize in the future, and that happens after the rapture, and it will occur at the judgment seat of Christ. And to find out more about that, please see 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. And also understand that the prize Paul is speaking of is not spirit salvation. Spirit salvation is our gift that came first when God called us to believe in his son. And Paul tells us in Romans eleven twenty nine 29 that the gift is irrevocable. Now, going back to verse 12 of Philippians 3, Paul writes that Christ Jesus has already laid hold of him. And notice, it's in the past tense here. This statement alludes to the fact that with his blood, Jesus has already paid in full for the sins of Christians. And we received our spirit salvation when Jesus laid hold of us. So in summary, Paul's inference is this. Part of the reason Jesus saved us is so believers can overcome their flesh daily and strive for the future inheritance. That's the theme Paul's trying to introduce to the Colossians. Okay, great. So going back to our text, Colossians 1.21, I also wanted to come back to this phrase, engaged in evil deeds. We might read that and think, you know, these Colossians must have been really sinful. And then we'll kind of skip over this verse, thinking that's not speaking to us, right? Evil deeds must mean people who do really terrible things before they're saved. Evil people whom God convicts or something like that. Well, not so fast. Jesus said during the Sermon on the Mount that your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 5.16. Well, the phrase that Paul uses here in Colossians is simply the opposite of the phrase good works that Jesus used in his sermon to his disciples. Good works are doing what God wants. Bad or evil works are doing the opposite of what God wants. It can really be that simple. You know, sometimes we call this works of self or works of the flesh, but the concept is the same. Evil is simply the opposite of good. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. The key phrase in this verse is, in order to present you before him. This verse is then immediately followed by the conditional word, if. And that is what's causing all the trouble for Christians who doubt their salvation and misinterpret this passage of scripture. But notice what the if is going to be about. It's not going to be about salvation, but presenting us, that's believers, as, quote, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Perfect or fully mature as the Apostle Paul says just a few verses later in verse 28. That verse is, We proclaim him, admonishing every person, and teaching every person with all wisdom, so that we may present every person complete, or fully mature, in Christ. Notice the parallels between verse 22 and verse 28. In verse 22, we read that Jesus wants to present believers holy and blameless and beyond reproach. In verse 28, we read that Paul and his companions wanted to present the Colossians 
complete in Christ. Right, and this raises the question, present to whom and when? In fact, the answer to the when question is really the key that unlocks these verses from Colossians. We need to ask, to whom does Jesus want to present us and when? To whom did the Apostle Paul want to present the Colossians and when? Jordan, to answer your first question as to whom Jesus wants to present believers, that's God the Father. As mentioned earlier, Jesus paid for us on the cross at Calvary. You know, the importance of his perfect sacrifice is distinctly described in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, which says, He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And take note, that word propitiation is best defined here as satisfaction. For instance, as in the satisfaction of a lien. Or we can accurately say, the debt we owe God for our sin is now erased. As to when this presentation will happen, well, it already did. For each of us, the very second we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And Jordan, to answer your second question, the person that Paul wants to present the Colossians complete to is Christ Jesus himself. He will be the one who will judge all Christians' works at his bemacy. This will occur in heaven after the rapture to determine who is worthy to receive the reward of serving him during his millennial kingdom on earth. All Christians will be raptured, but not all Christians will receive the prize. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly, established and steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So this is where the trouble I mentioned earlier arises. If you continue in the faith, or if you remain steadfast, then and people fill in the blank with terrifying options such as, you'll know your faith was adequate to the task of being saved from eternal hell. You know, again, I'm going back to what the radio host said, right? So you read the sentence, if you continue in the faith, then, and then you'll know your faith was adequate, right? You, you had adequate faith to the task of being saved. And that's, that's a very scary idea. But remember, the if that starts this verse ties back into the previous verse that we just read. To summarize, Paul is saying that Jesus died, number one, to reconcile us with God, and number two, to present us to God fully mature. Then Paul uses the word if to make what he just said conditional. The problem people are having is that they understand this as saying that number one is conditional, number one again being to reconcile us with God, but that's not correct. Because then you end up uh, saying things like, if we don't continue in the faith firmly and without losing hope, then maybe Jesus didn't reconcile us with God. But that if-then statement cannot be true. Paul cannot be saying that you and I are saved only if we remain steadfast, unless we're prepared to say the Bible contradicts itself. By the way, the radio host was not even saying that because he and his co-host then went to great lengths to give the Christian audience assurance that they were saved. For example, they cited Ephesians 4.30, which says believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. 
No, we have to use our God-given ability to reason here and understand that Paul must be talking about the second option, number two. He must be saying that if we don't continue in the faith firmly and without losing hope, we won't be able to be presented fully mature. We're still going to remain reconciled because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, but we won't be able to fulfill our destiny and receive all that's in store for those who remain steadfast and grow in maturity and produce good works that are worthy of a heavenly reward. As we discussed earlier, what the radio host and many Christians are missing is knowing the difference, Andy, as you describe, between the gift and the prize. Great job, Jordan. That's 20 minutes, and that is our lesson. We have some time left, so let's do a conversation question. Question. There is a Bible passage that seems to support the idea that some people who believe in Jesus won't have enough faith to be saved. It's the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. In the story, Jesus speaks of seeds that fail because of birds, rocky soil, scorching sun, and thorns. Doesn't this mean some people who say they believe in Jesus will lose their faith and not be saved? Yeah, that's a challenging parable uh, when you go through it, and we could fill several lessons with a deep study of this parable because it also appears in the Gospel of Mark and Luke and has slightly different meanings each time that it appears. And I know that sounds weird, but when you get into a parallel study, you'll you'll understand um, what that means. But, you know, briefly, Andy and I would encourage uh, all Christians, all listeners who want to study this parable, to notice that in Matthew 13, Jesus says the parable is about the kingdom, while in Mark 4 and Luke 8, he says it's about the word of God. And those words are very important because, as I mentioned, they had, they changed the meaning slightly. Now, does it mean that, you know, they're in conflict and one gospel says that Jesus, you know, said one thing and another, another thing? No. Um, you know, we believe, and as you study it, that um, it was given different ways at different times, the, the same parable by Jesus, and that he he altered it to have different meanings depending on his audience. So, you know, th- those two things are two different things, the, the kingdom and the word of God. And for Christians today, you know, the latter is the gift and the former is the prize, as we've been talking about in this lesson today. Since the gift comes before the prize, you know, you get the free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, spirit salvation, before the prize, which is the reward. Christians today have to read Matthew 13 as being about people who are already saved. Today, the word of the kingdom is not sown among non-believers because, you know, they'd have no spiritual ears to hear it anyway. And notice that I keep saying today, you know, using our space acronym and focusing on the A for audience, we should notice to, to whom Jesus was speaking these parables. If you go and look, he was giving this parable to the nation of Israel in fulfillment of prophecy. And that's a critical piece of context here. The nation of Israel was already God's people. The word of God for them was the word that their Messiah had come, and it was time to repent and be baptized, right? If they had done that, if there had been national repentance, then Christ Jesus, King Jesus, would have instituted his kingdom right then and there. So we have to be careful when applying these parables to you know, audiences today. Jesus was not speaking to the lost goats of the Gentile world. He was speaking to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Very well said, Jordan. 
And I'm sure many of our listeners are asking themselves the question, why aren't more churches teaching these truths today? And why is it missing from the pulpit? Well, the why is unknown. Other than blaming the enemy, we could only tell you that this was the way the early church shared the gospel. We read this throughout Paul's epistles. The problem is not so much the cause, but the effect. When asked tough questions, today many apologists stumble because they haven't been taught to learn the difference between the gift and the prize. And sadly, antagonistic atheists and agnostics are getting better at preparing themselves to ask difficult questions regarding salvation in order to purposely make them stumble. You know, they've learned to often place their focus on scriptures that seem to contradict secured salvation as possibly being conditional. And what we see today is that apologists not trained to understand the difference between the gift and the prize, they just end up baffled and left with no correct answers to respond with. And because of that, it hinders the spread of the gospel. Before we go, don't forget, we want to hear from you. We welcome your questions and comments, even if you don't agree with us. I mean, we prefer if you agree with us, but obviously we're also interested in if you don't and hearing your um, Bible-backed reasons why. Feel free to just give us a call and leave a message. Our number is 908-271-6717. If you ask a good question or make a good point, we may even put you on the show. Once again, our number is area code 908-271-6717. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Or you could visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters M B. Do you want to listen to this Bible study again? It's easy. Just go to 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters mbs.org. On the website, you can also subscribe and have these lessons automatically delivered to your inbox. Once again, that's 20mbs.org. Some of you are listening to us on Sirius XM channel 131, also known as Family Talk. If so, you should know that we're on every week at this time, Sundays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. Feel free to tune in and hear our latest Bible study every Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. Preferred podcasts? We're on all the major platforms including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. To find out more, simply go to our website and click the icon for your favorite app. And if you're listening to this on a streaming app right now, do us a favor and hit that subscribe button so you'll get new lessons automatically delivered to you. Until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. 
I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Reserved Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.